What's up, everybody? Welcome to this episode of Dad Body History, where the takes are old and the beer is cold. How you doing, Eric? Pretty good. I'm not drinking beer. Me neither. I've had, I've had to cut back because <laughs> not that I was drinking a lot, but I have some medications I'm taking right now. You know, apparently not and supposed have, to add them. Yeah, you'd be too awesome if you had beer with your medication. You'd feel too good. I that's what they don't that, want. I think that's what the doctor said. Yeah, Something very similar right. to that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We highly recommend you drive heavy machinery. Yeah. Yeah. Drive that, drink a beer, and take <laughs> three of these and tell us where you end up in the morning. So well, I mean, you're in your I guess you just finished your fourth decade. You're in your fifth decade now. It's true. It's true. How you doing, man? So here's the thing. Here's the thing. So I hit 40 yesterday and uh, nothing happened. Yeah, nothing particularly happened. Um, But I was thinking about it today and I'm wondering, like, when was I supposed to feel like an adult? Because I haven't gotten to that point and I assume the times I feel most like an adult is when mm-hmm. I'm buying something and the person says, how would you like to pay for it? And I have an answer immediately, which is very rare. Mm-hmm. You know, most of the time it's like, oh, I haven't really thought this through. So I, I don't know. Like, I've, I don't know if so I've ever don't, really. You don't feel like, like an a, adult when you're taking care of your kids. Like you just feel like a bigger kid who's mm-hmm. taking care of some kids. Yeah. I mean, they're still mine. I just, there's a point at which I, I'm just like, what, what am I supposed to feel like as an adult? I mean, there's this massive weight of responsibility constantly all the time, but you know, I generally feel like uh, almost like there's an imposter syndrome, like, Oh, I'm an adult and people expect me to have this responsibility and do these things all a certain way. And I'm like, ah, really? Like when, when, you know, maybe it was when I rented a car for the first time that's and I was one. over 25. That's a big moment. But still, I was just like, I've been an adult now for 22 years, technically. And uh, I'm not sure at what point I was supposed to, the switch was just supposed to to flip for me. Um, it's funny because when I turned 18, also your screen froze again. But um, when I turned 18, I felt like a, you know, I went and bought a, like a, a scratch ticket. Because you could buy scratch tickets, right? Like that was something you could do. Um, but I didn't feel like an adult. I just felt like a kid buying a scratch ticket from yeah. the gas station. That's so that's the, funny that you say that. That's how I feel right? most of the yeah. time. Okay. And I know I still get carded once in a while. That feels good. Nice. But the other thing I'm thinking of is like, again, I'm an adult, I'm responsible, and I and I generally think I am, but uh I I work in education. Other parents not only entrust me with the care and education of their own children um, at, you know, my school, they they actually pay money for that. Mm -hmm. And I want like, really me? Like, I feel like moments ago I was in college with you and I really wouldn't have trusted us. So 
I don't know. There's just this imposter syndrome going on and it's not a bad thing. I just, something I reflected, I'm like, Oh, so this, I, I felt like there's supposed to be something else I was supposed to feel. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I guess not. Well, you know, in, in 40, as they say, it's not 40 anymore. It's like the new 30. And I, I do think there's some truth to that. Cause I just remember, and maybe my kids will tell me in 20 years, but I remember looking at my dad and my mom, I'm like, <sighs> they are weathered like they are <laughs> like they've been through the ringer like life was tougher for them than it is for me and you well, know and in and, and 40 like a generation and two generations ago 40 like you were getting close to retirement like it wasn't it, it wasn't like halfway through your life like if i live another 40 years that's that's almost expected now if you lived another 40 years back then you were ancient Ooh. Like yeah. you were, you're one of the old ones on an, on a mountaintop. One of the elders as yeah. it were. Yeah. I, it's so I it is, part of it. Yeah, it is. But I also, I also think we look at our parents as weathered and I think you and I basically just sit inside all day and work inside. Yeah, that's true. I, we're the, not my physical heart is not nearly the sun has not kissed me. Like it has kissed others. Yeah. Um, so yeah, your dad, I, your dad, professionally flew close to the sun and stared it down that's what he did and well that's how know. he kept his youth yeah <laughs> he got all that vitamin d he was, he was like take this <laughs> um I, well, anyway I, happy birthday man thanks thanks and i share i i think it's fun uh i share a birthday with your son which mm-hmm. is awesome because he did a great job at picking that day he did. Uh, i share uh and he a did birthday. choose that day yeah, with uh, my late friend, his son was born a year ago on my birthday as well. So mm-hmm. we've got a few. It's a good day. It's a good it's day. It's a good day. It's a good day. Um, I have to. I have to give a shout out though here. Oh. I think I put it in the notes. Um, so a month and a half ago, somehow I uh, Dadbot History on Twitter won some contest from another podcast. So they sent me a bunch of swag. So I want to show it off because, uh, so this is, uh, the tattoo squid podcast. It's a uh, Dre tattoo squid. Uh, it's TA, the number two squid podcast. And, uh, you know, he just said, Hey, you won this stuff. I'm going to send it to you. And I'm like, well, this is the headquarters for dead by history. So I got this stuff the other day. Uh, and it's, 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 it's fun stuff, but it's very much not me. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. Cause, uh, I think their podcast is a bit darker kind of into the, uh, uh, pop culture of like the horror genre and some of that, okay. that kind of stuff. And that's fine. Sure. So here, here's the bag nightmare on Elm street, sweet Jeez, dreams. Please. It, it's just cool. It's a tote bag. Maybe I'll go grocery shopping with it. But again, <laughs> I've never watched those films. They terrify me. Here's another thing. It's this hat. It says good guys. That's and cool I don't, hat. I don't know the reference, but underneath it's Chucky. So it's gotta be from, yeah, uh, I, again, child's play. Yeah, something that I would not. I, I the commercials for those terrified me as a child. So now I have these things in my home. I got a couple of these things. What's going to happen is your kids are really going to get into Chucky oh, God, and I hope not. Street. That's what's going to happen. 
No, and they they, love it. they can't stand to see commercials that are creepy. Uh, some bag straps. Now, this one is like a, a PlayStation bag strap with Japanese on it. Now, what's interesting is I've had nearly all the Nintendo products, had a couple Xbox products. I've never owned anything PlayStation. So this is one of those. It's like not, it's cool, but it's not something I've done. But this one is uh, the Triforce Zelda. So that nice. one is one that I'm like connected with. And this one I think you'll enjoy most. It's an umbrella and I really wanted to have it ready to I open, but I just don't have to yeah. uh, It's a Harley Quinn umbrella. Very cool. So yeah, there she is. I like that. Yeah. Harley Quinn. Awesome. I, may have to, I may have to send that have to you. Have you seen the Suicide Squad? No. It's pretty good. No. Check it out. I don't want to spend a lot of time talking about it, but it was yeah. much better than the one yeah. that came out several years ago. So, um, yeah, that, that was, I think that completed all the swag. There's the, uh, the tattoo squid okay. podcast, you know, cool stuff, guys. Thanks nice. for the, uh, thank you. That's awesome. It was kind of so. cool to get that and then open it while my children are standing around trying to explain why a doll had a knife. It was fantastic. So, yeah. I'm in the same boat. I'm not a big fan of horror. I I don't like paying or intentionally making myself scared. That's not a that's not a thrill for me. And I get why some people do, and that's fine. But that's not. not I my honestly wellness. think the last the old like I saw the Scream films. I think the last thing I went to see in a theater was the Blair Witch Project. That was like ninety nine. Yeah, no, it was it was the it was my first semester in college and the college that we went to in Wisconsin was, you know, surrounded by wooded areas. For some reason, after the movie, we went and just parked the car and walked through the woods. I have no idea what these other people I was with were thinking. I was terrified. Yeah. Okay. It was awful. Oh, we watched The Exorcist in our dorm room. Remember that? We did. I don't. Or were you? No, that that was before. I don't think you, I was there yet. No, that was like Joel and and Jim and Mike and uh, they thought that would be great to watch that. And I was just like, this is the worst thing ever. So awesome. All right, all right. Well, let's get into it. So the, probably the farthest thing from pop culture, we're going to talk about <laughs> the this this is a decennial census data that just came out about a week ago. The United States Census. Yeah, we can we can start there. I, I think that's well, it'll be interesting. I think that's the springboard for the topic. Um, and then we can get into the history and kind of the census over time and specifically how it's shaped our legislative branch of government and um, kind of just go from there, I, I think would be the the goal. Yeah, yeah the, the, the raw data for the census. Uh, came out. So the 2020 census was conducted, obviously, last year. Um, the data came out, I think, August 12th of this past week or so. And there's some interesting things there. One of those is... Really? Was it that recent? The data? Yeah. Well, yeah I mean, real. they conducted it and they compile it. And then you know, okay. a few months ago, they said, all right, well, here's the states that are going to get another seat. And here's the states that are going to lose a seat during the reapportionment. Um, but the actual data came out as far as the demographics. Um, one real interesting thing was the population of people that are white or declare themselves white um, declined for the first time, I think, since ever. <laughs> like, um, 
since the thirties. Hmm. I think it was the, yeah, it, well, it's sorry. It was the first time it's declined ever, but it's one of the lowest rates since the thirties. Um, so the, the population, the raw population of people that call themselves white is like 5 million less than it was 10 years ago. So that means the birth rate of, of people <coughs> of white Americans has declined to a point where now more of them are dying than are being born in a given year. Um, I'm sure the pandemic kind of sped that up a little bit for all demographics, but um, that was one big thing. Also, Hispanic is, Americans. Is it people who identify solely as white? Yes. And so that was another interesting okay. note I wanted to bring up is that this census um, showed a very big increase in mixed race. So people that, you know, white, you know, their their kids are white and black or black and Hispanic or, you know, any mixture of you know, Asian American and um, some other uh, declared race um, that grew by about 5 million people. Now it's not just 5 million people that had called themselves white that are now calling themselves mixed race. Um, it's all across the board, but that number jumped by quite a bit, by I think a, about 5 million, the population of people that are just solely white or declare themselves as such dropped. Um, they think some of the reasons for the, the big jump in mixed race is a lot of the kids that are adults now, young adults, um, are more proud to embrace their possible dual heritage um, than they may have been a generation or so ago. Whereas if you, if your mom was Hispanic and your father is white, you would say, well, I'm white because I don't want to, you know, limit myself to certain opportunities. So they, they think that's possibly why. And now that, that, that mentality has shifted. And so they embrace that dual heritage. So the numbers went up. Um, Hispanic Americans are the second largest, um, I guess, raw population as far as demographics, race goes. Um, although uh, identifying any of these races by such a bland term is kind of silly because Hispanics aren't a monolith, um, white Americans aren't a monolith, African Americans aren't a monolith, but for the sake of simplicity, um, Hispanic Americans are the second largest racial group in America now. And I think they're like at 16%. African Americans are right around 12 or 13, which it seems like African Americans have kind of always been around that 10 to 12 range. They they never really go mm -hmm. much higher than that. They never really go much lower than that. Um, they, they just kind of, they grow in, 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 on pace with the rest of the population. So they never really grow as a proportion. Is there any group that really expanded? I will Hispanics. Their, okay. I mean, oh yeah. They expanded by 11 million from, from 2010 to 2020. Um, two plus races expanded by, so mixed race or two or more races expanded by 7.5 million. <laughs> African-American increased by 5 million black, which I think is people that have emigrated from Africa, but aren't descendants of um, slaves. I think that's a third, that's a separate category, 2 million. Um, 
this is just from 2010 to 2020. Other races grew by about a million, which could be any mix of, I guess, just anywhere else in the world. Uh, Asian, I probably, or no, Asian American, sorry. I apologize. Asian Americans grew by 5 million. Black grew by 2 million. So I, I said African American. It's Asian American grew by 5 million. Uh, Hawaiians, Pacific Islanders, 140,000. And then, as I said before, white Americans or Caucasians decreased, an outright decrease, not a decrease in proportion, but a decrease in actual raw numbers by 5 million. So a lot of interesting data for this past 10 years um, that I'm sure is going to get dissected ad nauseum um, because now this sets up the redistricting battles across the country and uh, reapportionment battles across the country as well. So this is interesting. I, I'm looking back at the form, the sample of the form. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, when it comes to the, the race questions, these ones are always interesting. And I see these a lot because I do uh, our standardized testing at school. And these questions are similar. Mm -hmm. um, there's always a question about Hispanic origin, which is always set aside from race, right? Um, is the non-white Hispanic, right? Right. Are they no, not of Hispanic, Latino, or Spanish origin? Yes. And then it says Mexican, Mexican American, Chicano. Yes, Puerto Rican. Yes, Cuban. Yes, another Hispanic, Latino, or Spanish origin. Salvadoran, Dominican, Colombian, Guatemalan, Spaniard, Ecuadorian, all that kind of stuff. Which is really interesting that Spaniard is included in that. And and I I want to look back at uh, one of the the definitions between. Um, the difference between Hispanic and Latino, there's an, there's a, there's some odd, and I can't remember exactly what that difference is. And then you get to the race and it said, Mark X, one or more boxes and print origin. So it says white. And this is interesting. German, Irish, English, Italian, Lebanese, Egyptian, right? Huh. Black or African-American, African-American, Jamaican, Haitian, Nigerian, Ethiopian, Somali, then American Indian, Alaska Native. Mm -hmm. um, and then it goes into your tribes and stuff. Then there's just checkboxes, Chinese, Filipino, Asian, Indian, Vietnamese, Korean, Japanese, Native, Hawaiian, Samoan, Chamorro, other Pacific Islander, and then specify other Asian, specify. And then the checkbox at the bottom, some other race, print race or origin. So one question I have is, how, again, I'm going to come from the perspective of race is a completely constructed idea, right? It's, it's, it's about as much of a social construct as you can get, even though sure. it has dug its heels in, in, in especially it's, American society. It's, it's not real, but it's also real. Like it's, it's not, there is no genetic difference between the races but right. hundreds of years of these sorts of separations, separations and, and divisions and mer merging yeah. and migrations have also created races. So it, it's on one sense, it, it doesn't exist, but in another yeah. sense, it's totally real, especially in America. Yeah. Um, yeah I mean, uh, yeah. And, and so the question there is how many other countries in the world are, are even close to as diverse as the United States? Sure. In terms of all these things. And that's, that's a good thing, but it's uh, how many times has, 
has a nation in world history had to deal with such diversity and how have they dealt with it? And there's very few. And anyways, I wonder how many people either left this blank or maybe clicked some of the race when they might may have been white or black and just said, I don't want to define myself by that term. I want to just say something else. I'm curious about that. I think um, when I did the 2010 <clears throat> census, I clicked other. And I think I just like wrote human. Like I didn't want to <laughs> identify myself as a race. So when I did the 2010 census, I'm like, I'm just human. I was being particularly contrary in that day, I guess, when I filled out that form. But and I think this most recent time when I filled it out, I I just did the normal white or Caucasian, whatever it was on the form. You just write rat in a cage and the world is a vampire underneath that? Well, it's interesting because my children, my wife is descendant from uh, Native Americans. She's traced part of her ancestry back to certain tribes in the eastern part of the United States. Um, But I don't, and it's not, I don't claim for her, but... um, but for my children, but it's not like we have a, like, we're not, they're not members of a tribe, but, you know, one could say they could trace part of their ancestry back to American Indian. And it's just interesting, but it's, it's also like, yeah, but that's so many generations removed and there's no leadership of those particular nations that would say yeah you're a member of our tribe so it's 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 kind of an interesting gray area when it comes to a lot of these questions based on race um and that's just one example i brought up so but yeah a a lot of interesting data that came out of this census um that really shows the increasing demographic shift of of the United States and whether or not you believe, you know, we're races are real, but um, how we identify ourselves is very real. Um, and for example, right now, the 2000 census, 2020 census shows um, in 19 or the population of percentage of population that is declared white is 57.8%. That's a decrease of seven percentage points from 2010, which when it was 63%. In 1980, it was 79%. Um, also, in 1980, what, go ahead. What was that percentage of? 79% of the population in 1980 was white or declared white. Oh, okay. Um, now it's only 57%. So it's been a very steady, strong decline from 40 years ago. Conversely, Hispanic Americans only accounted for about 5.4% of the population in 1980. Now they're at 18% of the population. So they're almost one-fifth of the population of the United States. So it's a very interesting demographic shift. As I said, African Americans, basically the same, 11%, 11, 11, 12, 12, 12. Um, Asian Americans has also increased. I think they're actually the fastest growing demographic in the United States as well. So there's just a lot of interesting shifts. which is going to impact how districts are shaped for the next 10 years. Um, Because it's not just based on the numbers, but it's also based on the shape and the demographics of those numbers in certain areas. Um, So anyway, we'll we'll get into that. But Eric, you brought up this topic um, specifically with the 1929 Reapportionment Act. 
And what that did was set our members of the House of Representatives at 435 members. Uh, I believe in 1910, when they did the census, they couldn't decide on the numbers. And so they were at 435. Well, so in 1911, they had the Permanent uh, Apportionment Act of 1911. And what that did um, is it is it set the number at 433 and it set aside two representatives for Arizona and New Mexico that would be joining the union very shortly. The Reapportionment Act of 1929 then kind of sealed that deal, I suppose. Um, you know, it made it, it kind of stuck in terms of um, they were going to remain at 435 because they had said it at 433. <clears throat> but what this did was initially in the constitution, it said uh, every state should have at least one representative per state and that no more than one for every 30,000 persons. Right. So you, once you, mm -hmm. once you were representing under 30,000, you were in violation, but the apportionment act of 1929 kind of threw that part out mm -hmm. and just said, we're going to stick with 435. And if we add new states, what they did in 1959, when Hawaii and Alaska joined the union, they, for. They temporarily they, bumped them. Bumped it. They gave them each representative without taking from other states. So it went to 437. And then when the 1960 census happened and they recounted, then they had to pull those to representatives from other populations, right? So, and they reapportioned them, which is right. where the word comes from. Yep. Right. And so, one of the other things that the 1929 law did is that it also, um, <coughs> obviously, one of the issues that the United States has been dealing with since the early 1800s is around 1840. I believe the number of representatives in Congress was roughly 200. Well, between 1840 and 1910, that number, since they were always adding representatives, doubled. And so they said, well, in the early 1900s, it was going to be impossible for you to bring in 600, 700, 800 representatives. And so they said, we're going to cap this at 435 because we literally can't fit them in the building. So they capped it. And what that has ended up with is the average uh, number of Americans that a representative represents is now roughly 750,000 people. In, um, in Montana, the one representative there represents over, well, like 994,000 people. And Rhode Island, it has the smallest district with 527,000. So you have this wide, vast difference. But it made sense at the time, 100 years ago, to say well, we can't have people traveling across the country to come vote. And I'm, I'm glad you brought those numbers up because I just did a little simple math here. And in 1929, the population of the United States is roughly 121 million people. Divided by 435, that would come up to about 278,000 people per representative. So about a quarter million people per representative. Today, the population is 300, 
31 million people, which comes out to, as you said, uh, three quarters of a million people per representative. So the, the, as the population has essentially almost tripled, the size of each district numbers wise has also almost tripled because we haven't increased the number of representatives to coincide with the growth in our population. And now the United States population is, is steadying out. It, it's growing much more slowly. Um, so you could theoretically keep the number from today consistent for a while without having to add numbers later in the future. But I would say, based on what you just mentioned, Eric, we are wildly underrepresented, upper, up, underrepresented in this country as a result of the Reapportionment Act of 1929. Yeah. And probably one of the most striking, well, and obvious problems brought about with the Reapportionment Act of 1929 is where, you know, it capped the representatives. That's one thing. They jumped to 437. Apologize. It's not reapportionment. It's the Permanent Apportionment Act of 1929. Right. Okay. We keep saying reapportionment. Sorry. <laughs> well, it's it's listed in a couple different places with different names. Okay. Um, reapportionment, permanent I apportionment. Get, I don't want to get called out. If I mean, so it's, I it's, it's got two different names. Sure. But one of the things it also did is that it it basically took any reference to districts and got rid of them so that it did not include wording for how districts should be drawn Created. for the boundaries. And so what this did is that said, okay, state legislatures would now be in charge of that. Now, there's currently 13 states that have independent commissions that draw the district boundaries. Mm -hmm. And there's another three or four, I believe, that have an ind independent commission, but the legislature still has the up or down vote on what they come up with, which yep. still leaves 35, 34 states where the state legislature gets to draw the boundaries. And if you've seen some of the boundaries, you know that the, the whole idea of gerrymandering, where you can draw boundaries to give yourself, give your party an advantage, is a very real thing. Yeah. Uh, and it's a problem, but nobody in power is going to vote to take away one of their methods of maintaining power. It's not going to happen in, in states controlled by Democrats or states controlled by Republicans. They're not going to give that up. It's happened in Arizona has an independent commission. Um, and that's good, but you know, now you have the ability to gerrymander, it's it's interesting because as you said, both parties do it. I would say on the Democrat side, uh, New York and Illinois are probably the two biggest Democratic states that would gerrymander their way to a legislative majority. And then on the Republican side, Florida and Texas, probably. Mm -hmm. And the problem is those four states have huge numbers of representatives and electors, which I know electors is not Jerry, you can't gerrymander electors, but those are huge states that control yeah. vast majorities of the population. And, you know, I think California got rid of gerrymandering right around 2010. And obviously, them being the most populous state, obviously, they're still a very left leaning yeah. state. Well, I mean, maybe they got rid of it in whatever form it is. But what's funny is where I live in California, the San Joaquin Valley, 
I live in the 23rd district, which is Kevin McCarthy's district. Okay. And according to this article that I had, I had sent to you, this is at 538. It's the Atlas of Redistricting. This is from 2018. And they, they have mm-hmm. several different charts you can look at if you were to do algorithmic uh, districting. But the 23rd district is a usually Republican district in California. 98% of the time, it's going to go Republican, which is why this district was made, because they want those Republican voters all blocked in together, not affecting other districts. Right next door is the 21st district. And what's hilarious about this is the, the 21st district and the 23rd district wrap around each other in Bakersfield. And when I zoom in, what's interesting is that the part of the the 21st district that is usually Democratic, it goes 83% of the time, it did not this past year, it went Republican, um, is that there's a part that wraps down into Bakersfield and it goes around Bakersfield and comes up on the west side, or sorry, the east side of Bakersfield. And that part of Bakersfield is primarily Hispanic and Latino. And it's mm-hmm. a, it's a lot of the, the farm labor. The part that it wraps around is the Southwest and Northwest of Bakersfield, which is mm-hmm. primarily upper class. And I, I don't want to say primarily white It's simply primarily upper class. And so these two, they wrap around each other. Mm-hmm for the purpose of keeping those Republican voters in their district and getting those Democratic voters into this other district mm-hmm. so that you can have kind of a surefire district, right? <clears throat> so whether they allow gerrymandering or not, this is, I mean, the districts don't look right in some places. Sure. Other places, it's well, just they, like- they do, Okay, so they, they have an independent commission. Yeah. So they do have an independent commission. Now there's other states that- don't have independent commissions, but let's say the legislature is Republican, but the governor is Democratic. So Tony mm-hmm. Evers, Wisconsin, is a Democrat governor, the Republican legislature. Um, so they can they'll they'll they can kind of balance each other out in how they redistrict. But the problem exists in that it's just largely left up to the states to decide how they want to draw their districts, which generally I'm okay with states deciding how to run states. But when you're sending your representatives to the national government, um, I think there's a different issue here because you're no longer just doing a state's issue sort of thing. You're now, you know, what, what California or Texas, how they send their representatives and whether they're accurately representing the populations that they have, their citizens, in the national government that affects the whole function of the country. And I don't think that's a good thing. Um, I don't think, I think gerrymandering is awful regardless of what party does it. Um, And I think it's going to be a slow march to eliminate it. If we don't have some sort of federal law coming in to redefine how districts get made that that's my two cents on that. Yeah. So how district, well, so there's, there's a bunch of stuff going on here, right? So um, there's been the argument over the past few years and people on Twitter, I've seen this, they put up maps and they say, how can this large swath of like West of the Mississippi, right up until Oregon and the Rocky mountains, this vast swath has like 
10 or 12 senators. And yet California only has two. And they're like, that's not representation of the people. And so one thing people need to understand, and, and I don't know why people on Twitter who act so educated can't understand this. The idea of the senators, the, the, this compromise that was that was made in the Constitution, the writing of the Constitution was that every state would get two senators. That way, every state stands before the federal government equally. And initially, those senators were elected by the state legislature. And that led mm -hmm. to a lot of problems because if you knew you the right people, you could buy your seat. That's yeah. a problem. Having mm -hmm. the people of the state elect senators is better, but it also gives the idea that the senators are representing the people of the state rather than representing the state. Um, and and there's, there's, a, there's a difference there because they're representing the government of the state to the federal government. Sure. <clears throat> what we're talking about is aimed specifically, I think, at representatives and what kind of solutions we can come up with because we have a couple of problems. One is underrepresentation for individuals. My, my representative represents... 750,000 other people, right? Roughly. So that doesn't make a ton of sense. Mm -hmm. um, and at the same time, um, the district is a shoe in for Republicans, regardless. Yeah. Um, which I might be okay with, but it means that that person does not have to come to the table with any real policy issues or they, they don't need to win the vote in my area. They yeah. simply have to defeat win another Republican. Yeah. Yeah. And so and Kevin McCarthy, he's the house minority leader. Yeah. So who's going to, who's going to primary yeah. that guy. And, um, and so it exacerbates the problem that we have. <laughs> yeah. And so you have, and, and I want to say oftentimes the, the majority minority leaders in these, these chambers come from districts where they are pretty much a shoe in like they are guaranteed to win. Sure. Um, Nancy Pelosi comes out of, I think it's the, the 14th district, mm -hmm. which is San Francisco. I mean, it's the, the chart here shows a greater than 99.9% .9 chance of, of being a Democrat coming out of that district. Well, so she doesn't even have to earn the first seat and she, and then, so she's been there for years mm. and how many other of these representatives have been in these positions for years and they've rarely faced a threat of losing an election. So they can be uh, more extreme in some of their positions, sure. whereas somebody in a swing district really needs to play to the middle, which is where compromise gets done. So the one issue is underrepresentation. So let's let's deal with that. First. Yeah, let's deal with that. So what are some solutions to resolving the underrepresentation? Because as we said in 1929, it set the number at 435. Uh, and it's been that way for, well, almost 100 years now. Um, and now, as you said, Eric, you have three quarters of a million people being represented by one person in Washington. Um, whereas when this was originally set as law, that was one third of the size. So it was one person per quarter million people, which is still a lot, but a lot less. Um, so what are a couple options that we have that we could increase the number of representatives, not arbitrarily, but, but based on real well, numbers? 
I mean, you, you can, you can set it at a different number. You could say one representative for every 250,000, 200,000, you're always going to run into the issue, regardless Mm -hmm. of how you do it, that, that some districts, because there's states with small populations, some districts are going to be much larger than districts in other states. Sure. Right. So the problem now is that, uh, what is it? Um, was it Wyoming that I said, uh, represented by 900, you know, the one representative, Montana, Montana, one representative represents 900 some thousand people. The smallest district in Rhode Island is 500 some thousand. So obviously the more representatives you have, the more, uh, the, the, the smaller the range between those becomes. Um, but my favorite thing that I've come across is the cube root rule, which is simply the population and take the population and find its cube root. That is the number that can be multiplied into it three times to reach that number for the United States at 330 odd million, that would put us at 693 members of the house of representatives, which would give us 258 more representatives and change the population representation from uh, an average of 750,000 people per representative down to 475,000, which is not perfect, but it's a heck of a lot better. And I think that's a number that's manageable. Well, and then now you take that Montana, Montana would have two districts. Yeah. Right. And, and that that's going to, represent Montana, maybe a bit better. I'm sure Montana kind of votes in a monolith type, but at least you have a district that's around an urban center, maybe Bozeman or Helena, right? Mm-hmm. And the district that's in the more rural, I mean, and so you might have two different representatives that come out uh, with different ideas and different policies that they want to push at the federal level. And I think that would be healthy to have that well and and i think it would break up this this conflict between what we describe as rural rural and urban rural which is apparently what i'm going to make up now but rural and urban um especially as people have been migrating across the country more and more and more um and and you don't have you know obviously you have your cities but then you have your suburbs and then your exurbs like santan valley um and and how those you know those people are not all farmers out in the exurbs and and the people in the cities aren't all you know hipsters drinking ten dollar coffees like it's 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 this mix of different demographics be it race or socioeconomic status or faith base or not like and they're all mixing with each other and to allow to have more representation in what we consider a traditionally rural place like Montana or Wyoming is good for the people of that state. Conversely, allowing for more representation in California, which is a traditionally democratic state, would give more voice to the millions of people that are Republicans there that may feel like they're underrepresented. And the same could be said for uh, Oregon and Washington, which, you know, they're parts of that state want to secede to Idaho. Um, So I, I think those are all good things for the people of the party out of power within each state, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. Just by increasing the numbers, we haven't even gotten to the gerrymandering or how they're apportioned just by increasing the numbers, that would be good for the people in those states. 
And I think the cube root rule would be, it's, it's simple. It makes sense. Yeah. Um, you know, as population increases, that number will increase by a little bit each time. But I think if, if you say, Hey, we are prepared to have up to a thousand representatives, then, then you can be prepared to have that many seats well, in the chamber. Yeah, build, um, you know, build out the, the Capitol building if you have to, but yeah. And another analogy that comes to mind is the debate over the minimum wage. And should mm-hmm. we raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour or, or not? And while I think we should raise the minimum wage, I don't think we should set it to $15 an hour and then forget about it for 20 years because then we're going to be in the same issue 20 years from now. Um, I think if you're going to have a minimum wage, I think it needs to be tied to the CPI of either the country or the state or metropolitan centers in those states so that it can keep changing with each year instead of almost arbitrarily just saying, well, let's just increase it to this thing where the cube root rule similarly says, yeah, let's increase the number of representatives, but then let's not just set it to this and forget about it for another century. Let's yeah. set it to this and make this the standard every 10 years. Did the population increase enough to add more representatives? If it did, let's add the appropriate number. If it didn't, then then we don't. Um, so I, I like that rule because I, I think it's a, a system that you could continue to use decade after decade. Yeah. And you brought up the another interesting idea, and that was um, getting away from the representatives would go to the Senate and just increase the Senate by one more one. per state, which means that every two years, every state has a senator up for election, which, you know, every two years, you know, if you are a state that has no senators being elected that year, you might kind of, not that, it, it's not that any feelings matter, but you might <laughs> feel left out like, hey, this year, I really feel strongly about this, but I can't vote for my senator this year. I have to wait till next year. Well, I would think um, it would keep, I would, I think it would increase the off-year voter participation, so non-presidential yeah. year voter participation, if every state had to re-elect a senator every two yeah. years. And I think that would be good. also healthy. I mean, 150 senators, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're much less likely to have 75-75 than you are to have 50-50, which is what we have now, mm-hmm. or effectively 50-50. But I think opening up representation would be helpful. It's going to get more people into... Because what are the barriers to entry right now to be a representative? I mean, the barriers are very high. Um, yeah. So it it opens that up a little bit. And, you know, you're with those kind of numbers, you're also going to get some wackadoodles. Um, you're going to get some yeah, people but wackadoodles with some, that are in a minority also, of oh, yeah. 150. You know, I mean, like that, that would be as the body grows you're always going to have extreme options, but with a large enough body, you can moderate, literally moderate those extremes to come to a consensus. Whereas now it's harder to do that one because we're so polarized, but yeah, this isn't helping the issue the way we're set up now. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The other, so then, then the other solution or another solution um, to kind of help is how we draw districts because like we said, districts are drawn by a committee or by a legislature. Mm -hmm. And that usually 
you know, there, there's, there's history lessons I've come across where you can take students to a website and say, okay, gerrymander this make-believe district to make sure you get more Republicans and Democrats or vice versa. Um, and it's very, it's a clear, easy thing to do. So one of the solutions to this, and there's been numerous articles on this, including the one I'm looking at on 538, there was another one um, that was at uh, Brown University where they devised, that was a geometric algorithm um, where one of the, the constraints on the algorithm is districts must be compa as compact as possible, meaning it can't be stretched and, and wrapping around other things. You have to compact it. So you can't say, With, oh, there's a pocket of Republicans. We can go grab right. here and, and <clears throat> right. bring you them can't in. Stretch yeah. them out. They're going to, they have to be contiguous and compact. And then of course, equal population between all of them. Now, this particular algorithm that I'm using, um, if I, if I use it in California, um, the usual, Usually Democratic districts drops from 37 to 36. The usually Republican districts remains at seven. The only thing that changes is that there's one more highly competitive district in California. Again, you kind of want that. Um, there are algorithms that you could say you could make districts specifically to be highly competitive. And this other algorithm uh, runs you know, you'd have 26 usually Democratic districts, zero Republican districts, and then 27 highly competitive ones. Well, this is where New York? No, this is California. Oh, another one. So, so that's, that just helps, again, that ideas become out in front and help people make decisions and that representatives are not just showing up. Those are how you get your career representatives and politicians. They just show up and know they have the vote because they're in a district that is locked up for them. Another thought I had when it comes to districts is, and this is going to be very unorthodox. That's how, how unusual of you. I know. Uh, <laughs> it's orthodox for me to be unorthodox. Mm -hmm. uh, why... Why do districts have to fall within the boundaries of a state? Why couldn't why couldn't districts represent a population algorithmically is my preference um, in something that crosses state lines? Obviously, election issues, elections are run by the state. So that's going to be an issue. But um, for the people who live in eastern Colorado and western Nebraska, they're, they're generally going to be more alike than, than they will be to the people who live in Denver and Colorado Springs. So there's a straight line that divides them, but there's probably more that unites them just because they're, it's agricultural area, it's farmland. Why not allow districts to be drawn across state lines? Well, I think you highlighted the biggest issue is the logistics of it all. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think that's it. I, I think it would be interesting because Kansas City sits astride two states. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure, you know, the, the folks in Kansas City, Missouri, and the folks in St. Louis, Missouri, have two very different opinions on how the state, you know, should run. But I bet 
on the other side of the border, you know, the Kansas City, Kansas versus Kansas City, Missouri, they're very similar. Um, so it is interesting. I do think the logistics of it would be very difficult because you would be voting in a because, well, the states run the elections. Yeah. Um, that, I mean, that's what it comes down to is the states run the elections. Um, I'm sure there is a solution to it. Um, well, it would be a federal takeover of elections. And that's something that many states, rightly so, would resist because they do want to be able to run their own elections. And so it would either be a separate election, separate ballots, or the federal government would be in charge of elections, which a lot of states would push back on. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I really don't think that they should take over the elections. I think, I think part of what makes the American election work is that it is decentralized. Um, and not in the sense that I support gerrymandering or certain states that uh, implement like voter suppression, stuff like that. But I, I think the idea of having states run their own elections is good um, in, the, in large part. And I think it's more efficient um, on the whole. And I think where there are issues, those issues can be resolved either in the courts or Congress can pass certain acts to make sure that all states are playing by a the same set of rules um but yeah i wouldn't i wouldn't want to i would not want to federalize the election um at all and i don't think most i think that's something that's probably pretty bipartisan um i would think there's a whole lot of democrats that don't want to federalize the elections and i would guess there's a whole lot of republicans and independents that wouldn't want to federalize them either i, I think that's something that they would want to hold on to but yeah. i do think the federal government should get involved in the election specifically when it comes to gerrymandering um, because I don't think the states are going to move fast enough, if ever, um, on their own volition because they don't want to give up the power because it's not gerrymandering doesn't just affect the United States representatives. It affects your state representatives. So right. California's assembly and Senate is determined by the California legislature. And even though they have an independent commission and a lot of states do, those commissions are always so independent. Um, and, and so I think having the federal government come in and say, you cannot do gerrymandering based on partisan ideology or race or whatever other demographics they want to list. Um, I think that's something that all states should have to abide by. And I think that is one of the things I would like to see come out of this Congress, although I don't, I don't know if it will, um, specifically with the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. That's one of the big things I want to see come out more than anything, actually, because gerrymandering has such a negative effect on our, our temperament. It, it just, why would I, you know, if I'm, if I'm a Republican voting in California, and I know this deck stacked against me, or Illinois, that's a better example. Um, and I know the deck is stacked against me. Why would I want to participate? You know, conversely, if I'm a if I'm a Democrat in South Carolina, and I know it doesn't matter who I vote for, they're never gonna win. Why why would I want to participate in that system? And I think that's something that eliminating gerrymandering could help not just the actual numbers, but help the actual 
our temperament and our feelings. And I, maybe we don't want to talk about feelings in politics, but I think it matters when it comes yeah, to stuff like this. Because if you don't feel represented, if you don't feel that you have true representation, then you don't yeah. want to participate. You don't feel that it does represent you. Uh, and so you're not going to participate. Um, it's, I think the one thing that would have to be federalized is districting mm-hmm. because they, you know, if, if we're going to have a consistent system of districting, then the federal government has to be the one to say, this is how we're going to district in every state because this is the most fair system. And, uh, you know, that's not going to upset Montana or Wyoming much, but, you know, Illinois, New York, California, Texas, Florida, all these high population states where it's the biggest problem. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to affect them a lot. <clears throat> um, well, it's funny because I, I don't know who said it or where I saw it, but someone said gerrymandering is the system of government where the representatives get to pick their voters, you know, because you get to draw, like you said, I, as long as I don't get primaried, I don't even have to try to win my district. Like it's, and it's far too common. Yeah. And the, and and the it, few, and the few, moderates on either side of the aisle are the ones that so often do get primaried and then lose their job because, and they're often in competitive districts and, you know, it's a shame. Yeah. They'll, they'll, um, those moderates will get primaried by somebody who's, you know, far left or far right. Uh, and then they'll go to the general election and get clobbered because within their competitive district, yeah, most people are middle of the road. They're like, we don't want the extreme, but the extreme part of the party showed up for the primary and the rest of us don't. That's a whole other issue that we need to talk oh, about yeah. open and closed it's, primary systems. But yeah, it's exactly right. What you're saying is exactly right. And it's not a district issue, but when I, when we were still in Arizona um, and uh, Jeff Flake got primaried by Kelly Ward for the Senate seat, in 2018, I believe it was. And he basically said, well, I'm just going to quit because I'm not going to fight a primary to keep my seat. And there was no way he was going to win the primary against Kelly Ward because, like you said, the extreme wing of the party was And then was she out. just got shellacked. Yeah, right? Kirsten Cinema just heard it. Was it Kirsten? Yeah, it was Kirsten Cinema. She just... Uh, or no, was, it wasn't Mark Kelly? That was his past year. Kelly Ward primary Jeff Flake in the 2018 primary right. Kirsten Cinema won that seat beating Kelly Ward or no beating Martha McSally <laughs> Jeff Flake dropped out because of Kelly Ward Martha McSally is the one that actually won the primary and then Kirsten Cinema yeah she'll act her and then Martha McSally lost again in 2020 to Mark Kelly Mc- the- I don't I don't think McSally ever was she was appointed right she was appointed in McCain's seat she was appointed in McCain's seat in 2018 after McCain passed away and Mark Kelly defeated her this past year. Yeah. Okay. yeah McSally lost twice. She lost in 2018. She lost in 2020. We're getting, we're missing the point though. The point right. is Jeff Flake got primary and instead of fighting the primary he said, well, I'm just going to quit. And yeah. the seat flipped to the Democrats because the state said, yeah, we're Republican leaning, but we're not, that far to the right and right. i think that and happens you, in a lot 
of states and a lot of districts. And who did, who did you have come out and vote for Kelly Ward was the far right of the Republican Party in Arizona, which is oddly very far right. Mm-hmm. And um, Jeff Flake is one of these, I'd say, somewhat principled conservatives. And when mm-hmm. he disagreed with the president, he said so. And he's like, this is why I disagree. It's nothing personal, but everyone took it personally and primaried him. And the person you put out there was not going to win in Arizona because Arizona is a purple state. Yeah. And now it's a blue state. Well, and it's funny because on the <laughs> other side now, Kirsten Sinema is one of the two set, the two Democrat senators there. And, you know, because she's centrist, moderate. Yeah. Now everybody on the left is like, well, we need to primary Kirsten Cinema. Like, well, you're just going to hand the seat back to the Republicans then if you primary Kirsten Cinema, because you're not, even though you're trending purple blue, the state is not a, it's not California, it's not Illinois. Like, it's, yeah. and it's just these extremes on both sides were because of gerrymandering, because we're underrepresented, because a whole lot of things, um, these extremes rise up and they keep pulling them apart and it's like that's not helping the system so i think all it does is thin out the middle and uh even on some of these controversial issues i know uh, representatives of both republicans and democrats who are centrist because they live in purple districts really handed it to their parties on some of these issues in the past where they're pushing these hard i think it was the green new deal um Or no, it was it was it was one of these most recent big packages. And some of the Democrats who are in these purple districts really handed it back to the the, the far left. The and Pelosi's not necessarily far left, but she's in a strong district. I said, listen, you guys with your policies are killing me and my district. My district is going to go red next time because you keep pushing these really far left issues. And so I mean, the middle, the center is what needs to hold. That's where compromise gets done. That's where actual governance gets done. That's where good policies come from. If you want to get a good infrastructure, it's coming from the middle. Um, And and we have a problem with underrepresentation and poor districting. Mm -hmm. And that's what we've tried to hammer home with our thesis tonight. It's (laughs) It's <laughs> yeah. These are the two things that if we can if we can handle these and if we can do this so maturely and not be distracted by all the other nonsense that they're throwing sure. out there, we can actually represent the American people better in the House of Representatives and have districts that are where there's there's no question that if they're they're algorithmic, this was not you know you were not picked mm-hmm. by your representative to vote for them you get to actually have a voice. And uh, yep. I, I think that's that's where we need to head. So, Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, well, I think that wraps up, you know, our, our discussion. We, You and I could probably talk for five more hours, but. Oh, yeah. It would just devolve into madness. So. Uh, All right, let's do it. <laughs> well, hey, do you hey, have one, anything else? Go ahead. What, uh, this is this is DBH 50. Is this so it? this is 50. It's just me and you. It's just you and me. The way we started. Well, there's not Nick popping up in the middle. But, you know, we've had some Dad Bot After Dark episodes. I think we're in like the 15 range of those. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've got more than 50 episodes. But we got these these 50 that are Dad Bot history. And um, 
Yeah. So it's, it's, it's been a good fun. milestone. Yeah. We've, we've had a couple of weeks off here and there. Things have yeah. gotten busy, but uh, DBH 50 running it back. Just the two yeah. of us. Yeah. Old school. I like it. Do the music. <laughs> just the two of us. All right. Yeah. Well, all right, man. Well, thank you guys all for joining us. Uh, I'm Jake. This is Eric. And we'll see you all next week. 